thing. I just hope Jerry Jones takes the time to interview Jeff Fisher. And... <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and... Hello. I didn't quite know how to start this one, so I just kind of went, hello. Um, hello. I've got to start with this uh, on this uh, 441st episode of Unscripted by sending our condolences uh, to the former NBA commissioner, David Stern, who passed away on Wednesday, January 1st of 2020, at the age of 74. Um, unbelievable job, David Stern. He had a lot of, obviously, people that were staunch supporters of Mr. Stern. He also had a lot of detractors. Um, David Stern, there is no question, uh, operated with a heavy hand uh, during his 30-year reign as NBA commissioner. But here's a stat that I thought you'd find very interesting about David Stern. When David Stern started 30 years, well, now I don't know how many years it's been, but he went from, I think it was 82 yeah, that's about right, 82 to 2012, something like that. But anyway, he went 30 years. When he started, his first day on the job, you'll never guess. This is how big David Stern made the NBA. Now it's a global brand, right? They've got an office in Japan. They've got an office in China. They're all around the world. They've got an office in England. When David Stern came into the Park City offices of the NBA in his first day back in the 1980s, they had 15 people. That was the whole staff of the NBA front office. Wow. 15 people. Now look at them. They're all over the world. They're a global brand, and all of that is attributable to one David Stern. He had some really big... He, Michael Jordan, uh, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, they just thought this guy was the second coming. There were some other guys that probably didn't think the same. David Stern understood the need to have big-ticket items in big-ticket markets. That's the biggest difference I find between David Stern and Adam Silver. Adam Silver doesn't mind that the reigning NBA, NBA's MVP happens to be in the smallest market in the NBA. Adam Silver doesn't have a problem with that. If David Stern was around, I believe he would have tried to get Giannis to a New York or an L.A. or a Miami, one of the bigger markets in the NBA, because he wanted marquee players in bigger markets. And remember, when David Stern was at the at the height of his powers, I was in the radio business. Not that that made any difference, but I had the opportunity on two different occasions to interview David Stern. And I can tell you that they were contentious because David Stern would answer every one of your questions, but he would answer them in ways that you'd never see possible. You wouldn't see it coming. You know sometimes... Like if if Chris is playing the role, let's say, of Jerry Jones, you know what's coming out. A bunch of hillbilly, you know, oil and bullshit. David Stern would just, he was so analytical and so such an unbelievable deep thinker and so set in his ways that if you tried to propose something a different way, he would basically stop the interview right there and go, we don't operate that way or I don't operate that way. So you got to give him credit for that. Very strong-willed. But this guy did so much for the global brand that we today enjoy that is known as the NBA. And a lot of that is attributable to 
former NBA commissioner David Stern, who passed away on New Year's Day this week at the age of 74. Just real quick, it's funny, he had a real aversion to small markets, but yet the reason the Sacramento Kings are still in Sacramento was because of the unbelievable efforts of David Stern and then Sacramento Mayor Kevin Johnson, who obviously used to be an all-star point guard for the Phoenix Suns. But because of David Stern, they still have a team in Sacramento. But then, I believe he overstepped his bounds in the proposed trade years ago of Chris Paul to the Lakers. If you're so worried about having marquee players in bigger markets, then why would you veto a trade sending Chris Paul from New Orleans to Los Angeles? So kind of a mix of a lot of different things with David Stern. But again, he did an unbelievable job and has taken the NBA to unbelievable heights. Here's the guy that obviously made it possible with the work from the guys from FIBA to allow NBA players to get into the Olympics. And David Stern is the reason we had the 1992 Dream Team. That's David Stern right there. So a lot of good things, a few questionable things, obviously. But overall, to last as, as the commissioner of a, uh, of a sports league for 30 years. Now remember, in a couple of weeks, Gary Bettman will be celebrating 26 years as the head of the National Hockey League. And that's an unbelievable accomplishment. And remember this, Bettman started as the Adam Silver to David Stern back in the 80s. So, Yeah, crazy. Yeah, I'll never forget. I don't think that David Stern died on January 1st, 2020. Pretty easy to remember there. Uh, I also want to quickly say we have a just a couple of quick uh, scores to go over here for breaking news here. Um, I stopped watching the Oilers game after his one nothing at the first intermission because you came over, but uh, Oilers somehow went on to beat Boston four to one, which is shocking. And uh, Canada has annihilated Finland five nothing to advance to the gold medal game in the World Juniors, where they will face Russia, who beat Canada 6 nothing for Canada's no. worst defeat of all time. So no. the Canadians will be motivated for sure. So that'll be interesting to see what happens there. It's weird. You know, I know that Dale Hunter um, is the coach of the London Knights of the Ontario Hockey League. But it just seems weird to me that Dale Hunter... And it, it, he's... <laughs> come on, guys. I'm not saying anything bad about Dale Hunter. He's an accomplished... Everything he's touched in hockey seems he's got the Midas touch. What he's done with the London Knights in the Ontario Hockey League is is amazing. Didn't have as much success when he tried to coach the Washington Capitals in the National Hockey League, and that's maybe because maybe he's a bit of a control freak. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But it does seem weird to me to see this former NHL All-Star coaching the World Juniors. I know that's an honor. I'm not saying any. I'm just it – just, it's just strange to me. I don't know. Um Congratulations. I think Canada comes back and kicks Russia's ass. I hope so, anyway. A lot of things to talk about. And if you are just joining us, we would like to take this opportunity to welcome you to episode number 441 of our little program. I didn't say that earlier because, well, I didn't even know how I was going to start. I just started very weirdly with hello. Um, A lot of things to talk (laughs) about. I don't know. I'm going weird here. We've got uh, some playoff games today, obviously, in the... NFL. I've made my picks today. I want Buffalo to win. I want New England to win. I want the Philadelphia Eagles to win on Sunday. And I want the Minnesota Vikings to stay within eight and a half. (laughs) But the big news in the NFL, besides the playoff games, uh, are the 
the coaching carousel that is ongoing in the National Football League. We've got openings in Washington with the New York Giants, the Cleveland Browns again, the Carolina Panthers, the Dallas Cowboys. Even though they haven't officially fired Jason Garrett, everybody that's reporting something, ESPN, Sports Illustrated, Sporting News, everybody, the score here in Canada, they're all saying he's he's done. But his contract doesn't it doesn't expire until January fourteenth. Well, what they don't they're not going to make mention of it that they've canned Jason Garrett until January fourteenth. They must have canned Jason Garrett because the Dallas Cowboys today are are talking to two former National Football League head coaches. Saturday morning, the Cowboys were meeting with former Packers coach Mike McCarthy. Saturday afternoon, the Cowboys were meeting with former Cincinnati Bengals head coach Marvin Lewis. So obviously, someone didn't get the medal. Uh, excuse me, the memo at the star in Dallas that Jason Garrett has been let go. But the coaching interviews have started in Dallas. And again, McCarthy, ex-Packer coach, was this morning in Dallas. Later this afternoon, Marvin Lewis, the former Cincinnati Bengals coach, interviews with the Dallas Cowboys. Now, Dallas has been synonymous through this whole thing. Lincoln Riley is still out there for the Oklahoma Sooners. And one Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer showed up this morning. Urban Meyer is going to take an interview request with the Cleveland Browns. I don't see how that's going to work with truck stop Jimmy and D there. Um, And did you see this where a lot of these teams are doing things a little different now? They're hiring the coach first, and then the coach will have a say as to who the general manager will be, somebody that they can work with. Now, that obviously isn't going to work in Dallas with Jerry and and uh, his two limptic sons, but Stephen, and I can't remember the other one, doesn't matter. Um, but it's interesting to see that the Cleveland Browns will hire a coach first. Cleveland has talked to Mike McCarthy, and I did hear from a source in Green Bay yesterday that McCarthy interviewed in Cleveland on Thursday. He in- And if McCarthy is the guy in Cleveland this time, he is expected to ask that scouting coordinator John Eric Sullivan of the Green Bay Packers to be his general manager in Cleveland. I don't know. McCarthy has also interviewed in New York, and McCarthy has interviewed twice already with David Tepper in Carolina. Some other names that these teams are interested in but can't set up interviews until the teams that they are currently working for, their seasons end. you got to put guys like Josh McIdiot, from New England in that category. Buffalo offensive coordinator Brian Dabble supposedly is garnering a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, interest? There you go. A lot of interest as potentially being one of these guys to fill these, these markets. The Washington Redskins, of course, have already hired Ron Rivera. Can you imagine? Now, I want, I'm going to ask you this question, and then I want your comments because you were talking about this in our last episode before we went into our lists, but I want you to start about the situation in Jacksonville. But can you think of a more difficult situation for anybody, even an established coach that's taken a team to a Super Bowl and Ron Rivera, can you imagine trying to clean up the mess in Washington? I think that could be the most difficult job for anybody, and good luck, Ron Rivera. I think working with Daniel Schneider, I think that could be the most difficult job for anybody to undertake going into next season in the National Football League. 
I'm not sure about that because I think that we're at the point now where teams are learning that if you want to hire a great coach and if you want them to thrive, you have them have a say in whether it's personnel decisions or even hiring the GM now, which is crazy. And I think Daniel Schneider, uh, if he was going to get Ron Rivera there, I'm going to guess that Ron Rivera would have said, hey, okay, well, I need total autonomy. It's like you when you're looking for a job. You're basically like, you're not going to go somewhere and just where people have their thumb on you. It's just, you're just not going to. It's just not you. No, I've done that in the past and it didn't work. And it doesn't work for you, right? And it's like, or like my father-in-law has been an entrepreneur his whole life when he's tried to have a boss. It doesn't go well. Like it's just not, <laughs> yeah. it's just not a good combination, right? And so I think Ron Rivera, even if he likes Daniel Snyder, would have said, like, hey, I need full autonomy if I'm going to come here. I think that's just what all coaches are going to do now. Any big name coach, okay, yeah, I'll come there, but you know, you pay me well and you let me do my thing. And that's, and I would imagine that he will probably do that because Daniel Snyder, if you saw the introductory press conference, came out and said, Thanks, Happy, Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah. So Real that, show, rocket scientist that shows where he's at. So, uh, <laughs> but look, and I also want to say that I think that the firing of Bruce Allen was wrong too. Because look at how he was turning that place around. I mean, he got the top-ranked quarterback in the draft, really, at 15 instead of at 1 overall, who uh, is starting to show some promise. They've got a great defensive line. That young group of wide receivers, like Terry McLaurin is a future superstar. Never mind, even those other guys, like that Steven Sims is a real burner, and that Kelvin Harmon, they look pretty solid. And they've got Adrian Peterson can apparently still play football. Darius Geis, when he's not hurt, is good, which is never... (laughs) Um, you know, and there's a lot to really like in Washington there. They are a legendary franchise. Uh, they're in a weak division as well. Like, I mean, lots of potential there. They being the weakest division in football doesn't hurt either. So I think Ron Rivera is in a pretty good spot. I think it's a very interesting thing. If he went in there and made sure that Snyder leaves him alone and he has a say in who the GM is, and he's got all these great pieces that, and Bruce Allen, he's really set the table nicely for him and gets no credit at all after 10 years there. Uh, I think Rivera's in an, in a surprisingly good spot. It, I mean, for someone like you, you grew up with the Washington Redskins being a really good legendary franchise. Uh, for me, I've never seen the Redskins be anything other than dog shit. <laughs> but, you know, I have to say, I can... I can almost picture them being okay. And it's really hard for someone who's young enough that they never saw the Redskins being good. The Redskins are just like thinking about the Browns yeah. really as a franchise. Right. It's like, oh, they're right. just crap. Like It's hard to imagine them not being crap. But I almost can kind of do it with Ron Rivera in charge. Well, a couple of things that surprised me. Um, I'm surprised, and I still want you to comment on Jacksonville um, because I just think there's a lot of things to comment, obviously, there. The Jaguars have decided to retain head coach Baloney Boy Doug Marone and general manager David Caldwell while uh, sacrificing, if you will, uh, firing Tom Coughlin as the head of football operations. And Coughlin had some weird stuff going on down there, and the NFL had to, uh, the NFL Players Association had to step in in regard to some fines that Coughlin was handing out. And, and maybe that's the reasoning from Shad Khan deciding to stay with Baloney Boy and his general manager, David Caldwell, because he knew and found out through obviously many different sources that uh, Coughlin was potentially the biggest problem in Carolina, or excuse me, in Jacksonville, because Coughlin was running it like they were back in the 60s. I don't know. Uh, But I still think it was a mistake to let Baloney Boy go. I also think it was a mistake for the New York Giants to keep Dave Gettleman as general manager. That guy has done nothing 
with that organization, has made some very poor trades. I still don't know the reason you allow, you sign Odell Beckham Jr. to a contract extension, a huge one, five years, 90 million or whatever it was. I'm not quite sure right off the top of my head. It doesn't matter. But why would you sign and and put all that capital toward one guy and then one year later you trade him to Cleveland? I don't quite understand that. I still don't understand, even though Daniel Jones seems to be a good young quarterback and an up-and-comer, I think you could have gotten Daniel Jones later in the first round and probably done more with that number six pick overall than they did. The New York Giants, folks, need to be good. The New York Giants are one of those marquee franchises in the NFL that the NFL is better when those marquee franchises, pains as much for me to say, when the Dallas Cowboys, when the New York Giants, when the Philadelphia Eagles, when the Washington Redskins, when the Chicago Bears are good, the NFL is better. Just makes the whole product better because you're selling bigger, you're selling bigger and better games in bigger markets. Those four markets in the NFL's Eastern, the NFL's Eastern Division, the NFC's Eastern Division, are all in big markets, big money markets. And Fox wants to be there with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman every freaking weekend if they can, instead of wasting their time out in Ashwaubenon, Wisconsin, doing Packers Bears. Um, I just can't understand why the Giants kept Gettleman. That's going to be difficult. And here's a name. And I want you to comment. I want you to comment on this one. I'm going to tell you what I heard this morning. And also, I want, I want your spin on the Jacksonville situation. I've been waiting for you to talk about the Jacksonville situation because you have such a good way of putting things. I heard the name this morning. There was a guy by the name of Marcus Spears. Used to play ball at LSU. And I don't know, somewhere in the pros. Doesn't matter. He wasn't there very long. But what his name, here's the guy. Now, before I say this name, I will give out the the I will give out a little teaser here. Marcus Spears happens to be an African American. Every African American that has a microphone to speak in in the United States thinks that this guy should be the next coach of their favorite team. And Marcus Spears believes that Tony Dungy should be the next coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And I'll say no on two reasons for that. A, Dungy's pretty damn good at television. He enjoys just his television work, it seems. And at this point, I just don't think Tony Dungy needs the added crap in his life of dealing with Jerry Jones and his two leadhead sons. Yeah, if I was Tony Dungy, I'd probably stay where I am, although I said the same thing about John Gruden. So, you know, it can be a really seductive lure to go back to, you know, get back in the saddle there. But Tony Dungy, to me, I don't I have no idea how old Tony Dungy is, but he just seems... Mid-60s. Is he? He just seems really old to me, and that's not supposed to be an insult. He just just kind of seems like he thinks kind of like an older dude, and I don't know if he's really the right choice for now. Look, I think that you have to understand at this point, if you're not looking for a great young coach, like a Sean McVay or a Kyle Shanahan or someone like that, or even a Matt LaFleur, like that's clearly where the league is going. And I would really hesitate to look at older guys, especially for offense. I can't understand that decision that the Miami Dolphins made this week to fire Chad O'Shea, their offensive coordinator, who, like, I mean... The, he's the only guy that somehow got Fitzpatrick to not massively collapse later in the season. 
And then they bring in Chan Gailey, like a 67-year-old man or something, and just who has been out of the league for years. That didn't make any sense to me at all. That's really, really surprising. And I just don't think that's the way to go. I mean, I think you can still have like a Wade Phillips or a Dick LeBeau, and they can really have a rock-solid defense for you. But for these uh, offensive head coaches or just offensive coordinators, I think it's a really bad idea to just go back to old retreads like Tony Dungy. And I'm not trying to be insulting because he did a great job. But I just I think that's the wrong choice there. Uh, in terms of uh, Marone. Yes. All right. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. He's just an unlikable weirdo. And that's the, <laughs> it, that's the problem. Look, if it was just that, oh, the team kind of sucks and we need a scapegoat. OK, you got Coughlin. That's great. But when you're in a 32 team league and 25 percent of all grievances filed by players are with your one franchise. Oh, my God. And then the NFLPA has to step in and say, hey, maybe you guys shouldn't sign in Jacksonville. It sucks there. (laughs) At that point, like this is unprecedented stuff. At that point, to me, it's hard to believe that that's all just one guy. A guy sitting up in the rafters there. Totally agree. It has to be somewhat the head coach, especially when he's just a different cat. And I look, I mean, some people think I'm a different cat. Probably you, the same thing. I totally get it. It's fine. But I just don't think it's good. He's gotten into open disagreements with players, which would indicate that that's got to contribute to some of the grievances people have had. But when the organization has just been tyrannical, and I know a lot of that's Coughlin, and it's just been a just a completely horrible place to play. When you see them, how do you believe in them when they've given away pretty much? They they, they lose Jalen Ramsey, and they lose they just anyone who disagrees with anything going on in the organization gets yelled at or kicked to the curb or whatever. Yeah, they've really collapsed. They had a good thing going there for a while, and they've just collapsed. And I don't think Marone is the answer at all in any way, shape, or form. This really called for a complete house cleaning. I know it's really easy just to say, oh, things are bad, let's fire everyone. But in this case, it was the right thing to do, was just an absolute house cleaning, start again from scratch when it comes to management and coaching. That's what should have been done. That was wrong. And frankly, I've lost a lot of faith in the cons, and I'm really disappointed in them for doing that. That sucks. But just so I can end on a nice note, going back to the Cowboys there, uh, just a little tease for Freeform Friday here. A couple of really great comments I saw. One was from Todd Furman saying, I just hope Jerry Jones takes the time to interview Jeff Fisher. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and the other one was from Jane Slater, who said that... Um, sorry, you like that one. <laughs> I love that one. Uh, that and, would be a match made in heaven, those two. Yeah, and the other thing that's funny is everyone says, like you said, that, that uh, Jason Garrett's gone, but there's no official announcement. They've had at least three meetings with each other. Like, what yeah, the yeah. hell is going on? Yeah, yeah. And so Jane Slater just said, I guess that Jason Garrett and the Cowboys are in an open relationship. Well, that or Jason Garrett is sitting in on these coaching interviews. I don't, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, what? It doesn't, I don't know what's going on. It, no it was, going, I yeah. found it funny that um, a name that has come up in the Giants search, in the Browns search, and in the Panthers search so far is a guy by the name of Matt Rule. He is the head coach at Baylor University. They played on Wednesday night in the Sugar Bowl. They lost to Georgia, but obviously Baylor, remember a couple of years ago when they had that scandal going on at Baylor and it cost the head coach at that time, I can't remember his name, um, it cost him his job. But as recently as two years ago, Baylor was like 1-11. And, 11. and uh, Baylor had made it all the way to the Sugar Bowl this year. Had an 11-win season. Congratulations to them. Should have beaten Oklahoma. Um, but Matt Rule, 
was contacted by the Cleveland Browns this last week, and he declined the interview <laughs> interview request to interview in Cleveland. That's that's that that uh, says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, it says he's a smart coach. Well, not only that, but it just it just makes people what the hell's going on? Well, and you and I have been saying it for three years. What the hell's going on in Cleveland? But here's a guy, an aspiring young head coach who's done an amazing job at a university that I would think would, you know, it, it there would be some challenges to be the coach in Waco, Texas. Okay? You've heard of David Koresh, right? That's all I need to say. I just find it funny that this guy declined his interview request from the Cleveland Browns. I found that interesting. Well, David Koresh's followers... Uh, unlike the Cleveland Browns, actually listen to what people are teaching them. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe the Browns, the Browns at this point have to learn from whoever they can. I have a, oh, this is what I wanted. This is kind of going off topic, but this is uh, kind of funny. Um, I found this. I'll get back to our regular programming here in a minute, but I just found this a couple of days ago. And everybody knows um, about uh, my feelings toward the state of Wisconsin. and um, But there are three MVPs in the state of Wisconsin. I found this unbelievably ironic. Aaron Rodgers has won two NFL MVPs, obviously as the coach of the Green Bay, uh, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. Kristen Yelich, uh, if he doesn't get hurt in September this year, was on his way to potentially winning back-to-back MVPs in Major League Baseball as the right fielder for the Milwaukee Brewers. And, of course, the reigning MVP in the NBA happens to be one Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Milwaukee Bucks. Here's the ironic part. Listen to this. Aaron Rodgers' birthday, December 2nd. Kristen Yelich's birthday, December 7th. Giannis's birthday, December 10th. And Chris's birthday, December 12th. Greatness I, comes in packages. I, I was just going to say that. <laughs> Greatness comes. Yeah. Now, you're what? Sagittarius? Yeah. Yeah. Sagittarius. There you go. Sagittarius equals MVP. Perfect. Isn't that funny, though? In one little state of Wisconsin, four million people, you've got three MVPs, and they're all born within a week of each other. Not on the same time, of course, because Rogers is 36, and Giannis just turned 25, but unbelievable. I just That's called too much time on your hands, folks. Um, this is one I've wanted to talk with Chris about for quite a while. We'll change gears from the National Football League to the college ranks. Two things I want to talk about there. Uh, Wisconsin Badgers, good season. Uh, but when you make the mistakes that they made in the Rose Bowl game, four turnovers, that is how you lose to an inferior opponent. I don't want to hear anything different. Wisconsin kicked the shit out of Oregon on Wednesday in the in the Rose Bowl, but they turned the ball over four times. And Jonathan Taylor, who declared yesterday for the NFL draft, Jonathan Taylor put the ball on the ground twice, folks. That's going to cost Jonathan Taylor some position in the upcoming April draft. He lost, he fumbled 12 times this year, lost the ball six times this year. When they have that kind of reputation, don't you agree? That's going to cost Jonathan Taylor some spots in the NFL draft. I truly believe that. I truly, truly believe that. But getting back to college football, I've wanted to ask Chris this since the last time. It's become the fashionable thing to do in college football. That these prima donnas that are going to make themselves eligible or their eligibility has expired, these prima donna jackasses, um, they decide to skip their team's bowl games, lessening the chance that they get hurt in a meaningless game with the draft coming up in April. Um, I have my thoughts on this. 
but I'm going to start with you because I know your love of the National Communist Against Athletes. I want to hear your comments on these guys that are skipping the bowl games so they preserve themselves and lessen the chance of getting hurt in advance of the April uh, NFL draft. Well, you and I might end up uh, disagreeing on this one, but mm-hmm. you, we might actually, you might actually uh, understand my reasons for it. Because uh, I, know, I know that the easy thing here to say is, you know, these guys should be team players and yeah. all this other stuff here. My issue is that bowl games mean nothing. Correct. And you're absolutely right. Bowl games mean absolutely nothing. And I've, I've tried to get, you know, and they don't even try to make it something. They're just random. It's like, I, was, I remember as a kid growing up, like, why is number eight playing eight, number 13? What could that possibly mean? And then it's not like they all have good names. Maybe at one time they did. Like, you know, okay, the Orange Bowl and the Rose Bowl. Okay, the Super Bowl. Like, you know, like there's lots of good bowl names out there. But, you know, when it's like the, you know, tidy well, pie, tidy bowl, bowl and stuff. 41 like, bowls is too much. And that too. And it's complete saturation. It's clearly just like, a, okay, kids, you go all play and feel important and go play in the corner there. It's ridiculous. And I, how can you blame the guys? And even if you could blame them and you disagree with me here, what if they were actually paid then? Maybe then. But they're, right. they're paid nothing. They're disrespected. They're playing in meaningless stuff that's made to look good. There's no proper playoff. The The organization is a joke. And everything is crap. Like, I mean, it couldn't be worse. The NCAA could not be run worse. It's not possible. They've literally been the worst at everything they possibly could have done. There's nothing they could have done to lower the bar any more realistically. They don't pay their players and nothing means anything. So how can you possibly blame these young men? If you look, especially the Tua situation, that wasn't even a bowl game. Yeah. You look at the Tua situation, clearly first overall, and now maybe he gets taken, whatever, and maybe he play. He was lucky to even have the chance to play again. There was a, a thought that he wouldn't even play again that day we were recording. That's right. That's right? right. And uh, so, no, I can't blame these guys at all because I can't come up with a reason to blame them other than some sort of random platitudes. I don't disagree with you, Chris. The only thing that I would say, though, is this. These guys want exposure, okay? And especially on the bigger ones. You may mentioned some of them, the Sugar, the Rose, the ones that aren't in the playoffs. Now, you know, those kids that, that the four teams, the LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and uh, Oklahoma, those kids... They have to play. I mean, they're still they still have something. You're to play playing for. for a national championship. That's fine. And I and and that's what that's what I'm getting at. But my only thing is, I understand, and a lot of it goes with the pay thing. I think you're a thousand percent correct there. But if these kids are looking for exposure, okay, they want the scouts, the general managers, head coaches, everybody involved with the 32 NFL teams. They want. These kids, I would think, would want people to see them ply their trade. And is there a... I agree that the bowl games are worthless, but ultimately, you want Chase Young. Now, Chase Young is on, a, obviously, is on an Ohio State team that's in the playoffs. And Ohio State got screwed against Clemson, but I'm wearing a Clemson hat here today proudly because, well, Ohio State season is done. Hoorah, rah, yay. Go dot this, you morons. But anyway... I digress. Um, I would think, even if you're playing yesterday, that last the last bowl game was yesterday in Boise, Idaho. Now, first and foremost, what kind of reward is that for a successful football season to ha- go have to play a game in Boise, Idaho on the 3rd of January? 
that's not a privilege. That's a sentence. Okay. But again, ESPN is there. They're televising it. All I'm saying is I would think that some of these kids that played at smaller schools would like the exposure to have the big guys, the GMs, the scouting directors, all these other guys see what they're doing. That's all I'm saying. I agree with you that until they get paid, they're taking a great chance against injury. And Tua is the best. He's the poster child of this. But ultimately, if you're playing at Ohio University, and as much as you think you're an NFL prospect, there isn't a lot of tape on you when you play at Ohio University. Or yesterday, Ohio was playing Nevada, the Wolfpack. Well, who the hell knows that Nevada even has a football team? Okay? All I'm saying is I think sometimes when you're at a smaller institution like this, we've seen this year, even in Canada, you see all of Ohio State's games. You see all of LSU's games. You see all of USC's games. All the big boys, Alabama, Auburn, you see all their games. But I just think that some of these kids need to think a little bit outside the box when you're playing at a smaller school so you get that exposure. If you're an outside linebacker at Ohio University, not a lot of GM scouting directors have seen you play. They haven't because you're at Ohio University. All I'm saying is that there's a grand, grand opportunity for you to have your game and your style seen by everybody. That's all I'm saying. Well, what I would say is that if you're a, certainly a top prospect or you're pretty much assured to go in the draft, I don't I don't play. You. I don't and, play. And you're, not, and you're not playing for the national championship. Right. Then, yeah, then I can certainly see that. And, and the thing is, not only is that... I think smart for you, but it does get, it'll give more opportunities. If guys are doing that, it gives more opportunities to the guys who maybe haven't been seen. And then they have a chance to maybe get drafted or even signed as an undrafted free agent. And I think it's, it's good for the entire ecosystem to give guys to give those guys the exposure if you're somebody who's going to get drafted anyway. Uh, you know, if you think that not playing will somehow drop your draft stock from first overall to fourth or fifth, first of all, I doubt it will. Secondly, I mean, that's not a big deal anyway. So I, I just think it's the smart thing to do. And the NCAA just couldn't be run worse. And until you have to get uh, all new people in there and then completely do it from scratch, or you might just have to literally disband it and, yeah. and get well, something to replace it. You might I have think, to, honestly. I think if, you know what, Chris, I truly believe this. If we ever do the right thing in regard to collegiate sports, if we, and I'm, I'm putting everybody in this, because I know you and I are on the side of this. If we do the right thing and start paying these players, I think you're going to see the elimination of a lot of bowl games. Oh, that'd be great. Well, I 41's too much. That's oh, ridiculous. They don't mean anything got, anyway. But all you got to do is win six games. That's mediocre. That's not That's not a reward. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. It, it, it doesn't mean anything. Even, but, even, even if there were only a few bowl games, uh, like, yeah, like uh, almost none of them would mean anything anyway. But and if there were five bowl games, I still don't think that more than one or two of them might mean anything at all. Yeah, 41 is just, now you're adding dilution to the whole thing. It's a joke. It's a joke. It could not be worse. I agree. Couldn't be worse. Um, Before we run on this 441st episode, going back to my favorite whipping boys, the Dallas Cowboys, this just came to my head. And this is more of that worthless information with too much time on my hands. Who was the coach of the Dallas Cowboys the last time they went to the playoffs two years in a row? And those two years were 1998 and 1999. And I'll give you a hint. He just got a job with the Miami Dolphins. Chan Gailey? Chan Gailey was the coach of the Dallas <laughs> Cowboys. The last time the Cowboys went to the playoffs, two years in a row, 1998, 1999, and the head coach 
was a guy by the name of Chan Gailey. Wow. Who's now the new offensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins. He also was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins there for a while, too. We've got to run a lot of things to talk to talk about and get to yet on this week of shows, so we'll we'll uh, wrap up episode number 441 of Unscripted. As always, we'd like to thank you for participating and hope the hope that you certainly continue to do so. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.